Welcome, everyone. <coughs> this is a, a topic that's not a series, and uh, I, used, I like to uh, give between series um, a set of talks that I think can be useful, uh, usually from what I've seen in retreats or in interviews at my home. I uh, perceive that something may be uh, needing to be pointed out. And so these between series talks are attempts to uh, sort of get us in line. Uh, as most of you know, I don't teach the meditation uh, technique here in this particular series of classes so that people that come to this class are expected to already have the foundations of the practice and the know-how to meditate. Uh, for people who don't, uh, the beginning series is the right place to start. And so when people come in here, um, I'm expecting that we are using the meditation in our lives uh, in such a way as that these talks can then feed a direction into that system, into that uh, uh, practice, so that we begin to um, access greater insight about our lives uh, through uh, these, these talks. And so tonight I want to just talk about something that it's a little bit of a Pope talk because some of us, I, I think, uh, from time to time may need a little correction and poking. And uh, this psychic leans of the mind, I think, is an attempt to so really ask ourselves honestly about a few questions that we will be posing. <clears throat> because I think, um, in general, meditators think of themselves as uh, very um, inclusive. And they like to... Um, I think we can uh, start to hold the image that uh, we are very open and um, honest uh, and uh, sensitive, perhaps. We're growing in sensitivity and kindness. Uh, but I think sometimes we get stuck in understanding the difference between true openness and being liberal. Uh, because when I start mentioning certain things or people start talking to me about our president, for one, uh, there's often a kind of uh, reactivity that denies a true open stance. And that uh, what we may have done in place of our openness is to take a, a view of liberalism. And that view of liberalism, we think, is much more inclusive than the conservative alternative and perhaps much more freeing and less restrictive uh, than some of the fundamental components of the conservative view. But a view is a view. And it's no more freeing to be on one side of the issue than on the other. Not in an ultimate sense. So let's just be real clear where we're standing because that's not really what Dharma is about. <clears throat> we're looking at a stance of open receptivity, openness, the ability to listen and views, as the Buddha said, just go around and make yourself and other people miserable. They aren't true stances in which we are actually taking in what is being said. 
but rather we are opinionating about what is being said in some kind of contracted way. I, it was interesting, I, uh, as some of you know, I used to be the director of a hospice here in town. And I remember right before I um, left the job, uh, a very conservative church on the east side uh, wanted to partner with a hospice and came to us for that partnership. And they uh, said that uh, what they would like to do is to provide the volunteers uh, for the cases that we uh, became involved with uh, from their church. And I thought, that's fine. I'll take it to the staff. We'll discuss it. I took it to the staff, and many of the people on the staff knew of this conservative view of this ch- church and shook their heads and, surprising to me, said, uh, we don't want to uh, serve them. I said, wait a minute. You don't want to serve the dying of people who happen to be conservative? You don't want to serve them? And they said, no, no, they're just too hard. You don't understand. When you get involved with them, you get in, you get, you have, you've met with a bunch of their views. And uh, I said, so what? What, what? what does that have to do with anything? Um, and it was a real a struggle. Uh, and hospice, by, its, uh, by its, its, its sort of precepts that it lives with, is... Um, Dedicated to serving people regardless of religious conviction, race, creed, color, etc., etc. And what I began to see was that the people were defining who we would serve by how um, inclusive or how liberal those people were, how tolerant they were, how non-prejudiced they were, rather than the fact of whether they were dying or not. And we have to be very careful in Dharma that we don't contract around the same idealization, ideologue. You know, often uh, I talk about uh, the fact that we can leave nothing out of our heart if we want to be whole. No one, no thing, no experience, nothing can be left out of our heart in true wholeness. And inevitably I get the Hitler question. Because that's the trump card, right? said, you can't tell me to be open to Hitler. That's the trump card. That confirms that we have the right. That trump card confirms we have the right to be guarded and protected. Has the right, that we have the right to uh, seek vengeance and retaliation. That we, in fact, have the right not to listen and not to be open. Now, if there were one one example I could give you that would rationalize closing the heart, then the whole Dharma would fall flat. There isn't one. It's all or nothing. It's a simple equation that we leave anything out. We have then divided the world into heaven and hell. And knowing that our difficulties lie within our projections is perhaps the most difficult thing to face in ourselves when we talk about individuals like Hitler. But the difficulty lies within us 
The difficulty ultimately lies within us. I know uh, I had an example of that when I was um, in my Dharma years. Uh, a group of us uh, were on staff together at IMS that about five or so of us became teachers uh, from that early staff at IMS. And one of the people who uh, was there, uh, we had a joint friend, and uh, he told me something about her. Uh, which changed and altered my perception of her uh, for years until I sat down and had a face-to-face discussion with the person who he was gossiping about. I held this, this imprint that I couldn't quite open to her. I couldn't quite relax with her. I couldn't quite be um, authentic with her because of this feedback I had been given, this gossip I had been given, which proved for me anyway from my perception to be untrue but it's we hold we we our mind warps around uh, the information and holds the information as if it were true as if it were true and especially um, in areas that generate by by and large uh, the same thinking like thinking We think everybody thinks like this, don't we? And Seattle is, what, 80% democratic? Something like that. We think everybody, this is the way everyone thinks. Well, everyone doesn't think like this. I went down to central Texas to set up a hospice program a number of years ago. And I was teaching the volunteers. And I thought, well, a good way to teach the volunteers about pain was to the Four Noble Truths. No one knew I was a Dharma teacher. I didn't make a statement of it. But I thought this was, you know, kind of a objective way to look at pain. So I gave, I just talked about the Four Noble Truths and mentioned that it was a facet of Buddhism. At which case, a couple of people got up and walked out of the class, a couple of volunteers, potential volunteers. And that night when I went home, I received a call from their pastor who said that if I ever mentioned the word Buddha again, that he would send no patients to us, uh, to our hospice program. And of course, the hospice program lives on good relationships. Now, um, we can sit here from our liberalism and we can say, oh, how, what, what kind of a reaction is that? You see how awful that is. And perhaps get very stoked about how the conservative areas of this country shut people out, shut things out, are intolerant. And in fact, we're bringing a prejudiced mind to the prejudiced. We're meeting prejudice with prejudice. That's as painful of a division as any division. What does it mean, you see? Are we willing to explore our prejudice? Are we willing to look at the pain of the need to hold a view, to hold a kind of positionality in relationship to another view, to protect ourselves from it? Because that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid if we let down our guard and actually listened 
that we might be affected by this prejudice and become like them. And so in our reaction, in our fear, we become as intolerant as they are in the opposite direction. And that's how life feeds itself. The shadow feeds the persona. We talked about that in a series of classes that if you hold a particular view, then the opposite has to be indirectly proportionally at odds to that view. And we live with that tension on an ongoing basis. This whole thing with political correctness, as if we could speak in a way uh, that handled our prejudice. But the words and how you have to speak are so distorted, so convoluted, that it deflects or deters from the real problem, which is the hatred of the prejudice. Are we willing to go there, not just speak it, but actually feel it? What is it? Examine this thing. To know it. And the example I often give is, uh, when I was once walking in our house and Ellen was listening to the radio and on the radio was Rush Limbaugh. Ellen was my wife. And I... Uh, I I was in one of those moods where I said, what do you have that guy on for? Just turn, turn him off. And she said, I'm trying to understand him. You see, I'm trying to understand him. Are we willing to understand even that positionality? It doesn't mean that you're going to be uh, overwhelmed and suddenly become you know, a, as conservative as the view you're listening to. What's the tension about? What's the posture? Now I want to talk a little bit tonight about the leanings that we have, the psychic leaning of the way we hold ourselves. And I'm I'm making this very intentionally a physical experience for us because physicality, I think, is a quality in us that we can... We may not be able to understand this uh, psychic leaning, but if we tune it in to the body's leaning, uh, the actual physical experience of leaning into something or backing away, which I will talk about as well, you can get a a sense of how, how our minds are operating by tuning into the body. And that first foundation of mindfulness, that Mindfulness of the body sensation is very important in terms of its indication of our psychic posture as well. So try to incorporate uh, the talk tonight uh, into a kind of a physical experience for you. Uh, Because I think it could be very helpful uh, in terms of that leaning. So I want to talk about three different Uh, psychic leanings and the first is the forward moving forward leaning that leaning into something Uh, I see it a lot on retreat uh, where people on the last day can't wait to get out of there and are you know are not going to wait for the closing Dharma talk I'm sorry I want to go you know I want to get back home and that that sense of 
of pushing, pushing the experience ahead of its time. And that missing of the openness of now. I mean, this is about now. Why are we pushing now? Where are we going to go but now? If there's another now that was better than this one, then please do go there. But that need to get out of the situation, to, to push it forward, is really bred by a kind of discontent, an inward discontentedness. You see, we're, we're on retreat. We are uh, learning how to posture ourselves so that we're not leaning. And then the bell rings, the retreat is over, and it's as if people just get back in their cars and, and, and as if their life had been uh, just temporarily interrupted by the retreat. And, one, and wonder, why can't I maintain it? Are we willing to be what the retreat tells us? Where, we, where the retreat tells us we need to be? Are we willing to live here? What's wrong with here? If you can answer that question, what's wrong with it? What needs to be changed about here? Why is this compelling need to move from here towards something else? Because what we are really doing is trying to assert our agenda. Right? It's fine. I can be only so receptive, only so open. But now I need to reassert my agenda. I need to reform myself to get back packaged the way I know myself to be. I have things to do. I'm an important person. I'm a nurse or a a mechanic. I've got people waiting for me. That's self-importance. In television, they found that there was a slight anxiety if there was a break between the programming and the commercial. You know, if there was like a a moment in which something wasn't on the screen. So they're working very diligently to make that a smooth transition with no breaks so that we won't be anxious. That's how absurd it gets. That's how far this thing pushes us. Now, the other leaning that we do, besides the forward leaning, is the backward leaning. That's the person... You see, I mean, what you will find is that we can predominantly find ourselves in the backward or the forward leading mode, but through the course of our day or our, our lifetime, for sure, we're, we can switch back and forth depending upon what the pressures are, the busyness, the hurriedness of our life, our self-importance at the time, all of that. So try to listen as to which way the windshield wiper is 
momentarily working on your own life, whether we're moving forward or backward, because a backward leaner is one on retreat who just doesn't want to go home, could sit there, you know, for, I could just have this continue on and on, very reluctant to make the change and transition uh, to the activity back into one's own life, uh, resists change, it's kind of um, a little bit indulgent in uh, their, his or her need uh, to stay complacent, to stay um, uh, in that kind of space where not too much is happening. And the question that they will often ask at the end of the retreat is, how do I continue to maintain this? Well, the simple answer is that you will not be able to. Not if maintaining it means that you will have a um, schedule in which you have to do nothing, in which you're not asked to engage in your life or communicate that you're going to be quiet for the rest of your life, uh, that things will be given to you and you won't have to produce or to be um, effective and affected. And that backward leaning, that tendency uh, to resist change, to want to remain with what I've got, just to, to nurture it. The person who has a great sitting and then can't wait to get back on the cushion to have the same sitting over again. That sense of, but that's not now. That's not now. What is now? What is it in, our, in us that creates the need to do this swing set, this windshield wiper, forward and backward movement? This confiscation of pleasant, indulgent times or the thrust forward towards productivity and activity and personal empowerment. What about, which is the third posture, the vertical stance? Vertical, where we're not moving forward and we're not moving back. What about that? The person, it just stands up. You see, in the moment that we stand up, and we're not leaning in either direction. We have lost our self-importance. It's only when our mind re-engages in life that asserts how important we are to it. That the need for speed and hurriedness forces us forward. And there's something inside of many of us that feels the desire to be needed, the wanting to be needed. Because if I can have you want me and need me, then I don't have to feel the pain, the driven pain I have of, of, the, of the quality of unworthiness that I carry with me. 
And so the more productive, the more useful, the less I have to feel the discontent, the soft discontent of the moment. We can feel this. We can feel ourselves leaning forward. Again, I remind you that this is a physical experience as well as a psychic one. You can feel, you know, when you're speaking to someone and you're not present and you just can't wait to get over the conversation to get to the next thing you have to do and it's like your toes are... And that sense of and you don't think we don't think we feel it with one another because the quality of our presence is proportional to the leaning to the openness to the verticality if that's a word and not not to the opinionation You know, many of us are afraid to be without opinions. In fact, we think the more opinions we have, the clearer we are. We think the more we have to say, the stronger our case. But we don't realize that the real value, the pointings of Dharma, is to stand vertically. Open. And that that's inclusion. That's non-prejudice. Not having a retaliation of mind against the prejudice. That's just a, that's just a forward-leaning stance. What does it mean to be open? To really drop the issue. I mean, I was... I was um, watching uh, I think I was reading the New York Times on the web and uh, Pat Robertson said something about uh, thinks that we should assassinate uh, Chavez down in South American country Argentina or someplace uh, because he, uh, I don't know why I mean he, he just said that and and I thought the first thing I actually thought was, what a jerk, right? <laughs> and I said, you know, okay, where is this? Okay, let me just hold this for a second. doesn't make him any less tolerable to me. And it doesn't make what he says uh, any more correct. But this is my work. I need to find out why... What he says bothers me so much. Because my heart, my heart can only come out in vertical, in in complete vertical stance. We think our heart comes out through our opinionation, through our counter prejudice, our counter weighting the object. But it doesn't. It comes out in innocence. And when the heart touches a statement like that, it sees, obviously sees the unjustness of it. It doesn't, it's not convinced, but it doesn't make um, a counter force to it. 
It's like a wind that just passes and you just keep moving. So in the vertical posture, that is the way we can connect. How could we ever conceive of ourselves connecting through opinions, through our prejudice, through our attitudes? Connection is clearing out all of that. So that I stand, there's a stance of true openness. True openness then can connect. can be complete, but it requires vulnerability. See, that we, we feel unprotected in true openness. And most of us feel the need to protect ourselves from opinions of others. We have to take a stance against them. What if we didn't take a stance against them? Then we could connect with the person even as we dismiss their ideas. And then we leave nothing out of our heart. So somebody might say, well, that seems so passive. You know, what, what are you going to do about Hitler? You can't just... I don't know what we do. And maybe we would, we would do exactly what we did do. I don't know. But why don't we give it a try? It isn't working this way. I think all of us would agree to that, whether we're conservative or liberal. The person who stands vertically and leaves the retreat is ready. It's fine. The next moment has more engagement, that's fine. The next moment they are standing and speaking to one another, that's fine. This moment is as workable as any moment. What is unworkable? That, if you can answer that question, you'll see why each of us lean in a certain direction in relationship. Because we don't think it's workable. What is unworkable? You see, we have to get to the foundation here and never leave the source of our own aliveness, which is the vertical position. Only in the vertical position can we become fully alive. Lean any way to or fro from that and we are um, encased in our mind far and far distant from connection and from caring, and from all the things we most want to do. We can't work our way into doing what we want to do through opinions. We can't opinionate our way to kindness, to sensitivity, to openness. That is the raw statement of being in a vertical position. And that's what meditation is meant to do. When we sit down, we sit down unguarded. I mean, some of us just may ruminate the whole time, try to sort out our life. And that such a meditation uh, has some value, but that's 
not really what the meditation is meant to do in its heart of hearts. It's meant to sit down unguarded, unguarded, so that we expose awareness in a vertical position to whatever it is that might be arising, unguarded, without protection, so that we see that there is nothing in the mind and body experience that needs to be guarded from. We don't have to bring another set of strategies to the meditation. We just have to sit. We just have to sit. Now let's look at some of the reasons, and we've already talked about some of them, that we find vertical positions so difficult. And I'm only going to go through uh, just a few. And there are many, many others. But I just want us to get a sense of why we lose that ease that ease of well-being, ease of well-being. Because that's the vertical position, contentedness, in which not only we are fed, but we feed others by making a statement in that vertical position of non-threat or harm. In the hospice program in Central Texas, I would sit around the table with the board. And the board were the religious figures and the power figures of Central Texas. And they were coming to the hospice because there was something that death and dying, they were fed by death and dying. So my job was to feed them without threat. And if I had used dharmic terms, you already know what would have occurred because it already had in that volunteer incident. But I could say everything dharmically through the eyes of the dying. And everyone could come in and understand through the eyes of the dying about fear of not knowing of losing everything. See, the whole of the Dharma can be reconfigured through the door of death and it need not be a threat to anyone. But if you use some foreign or Asian term like Buddhism or whatever, flags go up. Ajahn Chah, when Jack Kornfield was leaving uh, the monastery, Ajahn Chah said, are you going to go back to the West? And Jack said, yes, I am. And he said, well, don't go back and preach Buddhism. They won't understand. Just call it Christianity. (laughs) (laughs) But see, some of us have to make the statement Some of us have to, we want the rub, 
We want to know who's out there, who's our enemy. We have to sit there around the table with the board of the hospice and claim that Buddhism is the only way to understand death and dying so that we can get the reactivity that we so need for our own conviction, our own self-importance, our own personal stance. We need, this area needs conservative fundamentalism for its survival. Because then we can be a pocket of blue. Can't we? And when we were leaving Texas, there was kind of a, both uh, Alan and I felt a kind of a warmth we had for the, the state as we were leaving. It's okay. Didn't want to stay. We're leaving. But it's okay. We didn't make it an enemy. So what are some of the reasons, you see, that we cannot maintain this vertical stance? We will lose our, one of them is that we lose our expectation. See, if we, if we don't know what has been or what will be, if we don't have some expectation, then what's life, what, you know, what's, there's no rubber to meet the road. There's no, I mean, what is this unformed moment, this thing, this moment that could go anywhere, that is not configured, except through my configuration of expectation? How can I, I can't stand like that. In fact, you can't. You're absolutely right. You, the sense of me, the sense of me requires expectation for its nurturance, for sustenance. It can't stand preform because there's nothing, it only exists in expectation. And so this moment doesn't mean what it means. It means where it's going or where it's come from. It means it's where it fits comfortably in the link of time. From my past to where I'm going to go in the future. It means nothing just to stand here on its own. On its own. The moment on its own. And so we lean, we push forward, or we hold ourselves back, like a reining in the horses. Another uh, reason, I just picked these reasons out, they're not absolute in any way, and there are many, as I mentioned, many other reasons. One is that, another reason is that it's very difficult for us um, to, to receive to receive something and when we're standing vertically that is the position of total receptivity we're not comfortable receiving most of us don't feel often deserving of receiving 
In fact, in hospice care, some of the people who have the hardest time dying are mothers who have grown children who are serving them because they can't reverse the roles. They can't be comfortable in role reversal. They've always given They've, their lives, their adult lives, have spent in the service of their children. And now they're called to receive from their children because they are unable physically to do many of the events that they have to do. That sense of being able and willing to receive and to be able not to constantly give ourselves away but to actually be willing to receive, to actually validate one's life through receiving. And everything is received. That's the art of meditation. Meditation is the art of receiving. We also could say it's the art of listening, which is another form of saying the same thing. Truly open true openness, true listening, not selective listening, non selective listening. Many of us would rather be giving, serving, staying active, engaged. Now, it's not that that isn't an appropriate way to live. It's just that if it's being stimulated by discontent, which is often why we serve. We serve because we need those who we serve to, to love us, to like us, to need us. And that's, that's just the same unbalanced equation that we've been speaking about all night. Of course, there's a way to serve and receive. When I was with the dying, using that metaphor a lot tonight, I really wasn't there to help the dying. That wasn't my chief motivation. My chief motivation was to learn about what it was like to die. And in my willingness, my need to um, understand that, I was open and available to the patients, which was the ultimate way to serve them. But if my motivation had been to fix the dying, then I'm, I'm in a struggle. I'm fighting something that's irreconcilable. It doesn't need my struggle. Nothing does. It needs my attention, my understanding my availability. Another reason that we find it so difficult to stand vertically is that it's a loss of personal power. It's the perceived loss of personal power. In fact, it is the most empowering thing we can do. But if I'm not leaning into something, there's no cause there's no fight. There's no war going on. There's no struggle. If I'm not resisting or, or 
leaning forward or leaning back in anticipation. Where's the cause? And therefore, without a cause, my life is meaningless. I was watching... Uh, I, there's a series on PBS that I find fascinating. It's the Battles of Britain, back going starting uh, six battles, major battles of Britain, uh, starting uh, in the Roman times and all the way up to the Second World War. And the one that I had taped from last Thursday was um, the battle fought in, uh, the dates may be a little off, but like uh, 1745, 1746, between the Scottish Highlanders uh, and a Catholic uh, king who had been, uh, who had been uh, sent to France and abdicated and all that. Anyway, and there was a Protestant uh, king uh, who was throned, and so the Catholic king who had been uh, uh, alienated to another country or sent to another country uh, came back through Scotland and formed an army of the Scots. And then, uh, and so the, the Catholic Scots rallied around this king. I think it was James or somebody like James I or somebody I can't quite remember. Um, but the point was that these Scots, um, very brave-hearted, tribal, they all had their clans. They had swords and shields, and the English had muskets. And, uh, uh, but their cause was so uh, strong in them that they would just uh, essentially uh, run headlong into these musket fires. And of course they were decimated because the cause was so, you know, my Catholicism and bringing back the Catholic, but God, that's how out of control this whole thing can be. You see how out of control it can be? When your values become the principal cause by which you live, that what the thing that um, stirs us the most, our religion, our God, our country, where's clarity in that? Somebody that stands straight It's not patriotic in the sense that we know it in this country. They may have a deep love for their country, but not this country as opposed to another. And certainly not with religion or politics. This need to swing forward for cause and purpose and meaning or to swing back in resistance. We need to look at in our practice. Where are we swinging forward? Where are we trying to hold and grasp or resist? And feeling it as a physical experience, as a swinging motion inside of us. I was talking to one person about this topic 
And she said she was in the grocery line. And she just remembered the phrase leaning forward and leaning back. And she said all of a sudden she realized that she was in the grocery line leaning forward because she had gotten in the wrong line. And she just corrected her posture straight up and was willing truly to be patient. So for this week, let us monitor the swings of our physical posture and take that firm vertical posture that says, you know what, this moment's workable. Whether I get through the line first or last. That this moment is workable without friction, without the need for enemies, with a posture that is truly content and upright. Thank you. So if there are any questions tonight, I'd be happy to discuss what I can. I was wondering why I couldn't see you, but the light was right in my eye. Yes. How do we sit vertically in our dark, most challenging moments? Um, With patience, uh, because we may not be up to the task every time. Okay, so, you know, I have to give you an absolute when I give you a talk like this. But, in fact, it's a training. It's a learning how to do that. Especially, um, for some people especially, it's physical pain. For others people, the more difficult is the emotional pain. Uh, regardless of which way uh, it is emotional or physical, it's not actually the experience itself that's the problem. It's the fear of that experience that we may be overcome by it, uh, that we may lose control, which is really what we're afraid of doing. And if we lose control, we may prove to be a coward in the face of this emotion or this physical pain. And... We run through our life history and all the ways that we are afraid that we might turn out uh, when we face ourselves. Uh, And we face our father's voice, our mother's voice, and we face our own as well. And sometimes we're not up to it. But the beautiful quality of meditation is that we can always begin again and clean the slate. That we can start from zero just in our willingness to do it again, to start over, to start over. So it really doesn't make any difference if we falter and falter and falter, as long as we're willing to start over and renew our acquaintance with whatever the problem might be in that moment. And suddenly you begin to find, perhaps not even intentionally, but over time, a resilience of the heart that doesn't Um, shy away as quickly that stands its ground openly uh, more firmly without resistance it sounds when I say stand the ground firmly it sounds like we're in battle mode but it's really just opening up further without resistance 
And you find that that is an accumulated skill. Dependent upon each of our willingness to feel the pain and to feel the fear of the pain. Other questions? Yes. from a viewer opinion. question is regarding Pat Robertson's statement that he thinks the United States should assassinate uh, somebody in South America and listening to that and feeling this unjust. It's unjust. Um, that, uh, justice um, may be the wrong word and I can't think of a better word. Uh, but when you see uh, inequality or pain in another person, or pain in a species, or pain in a race, or and one person or one person pushing that pain, forcing it. There's a there's a sense of of the heart uh, uh, needing to mend that, needing to uh, needing to heal that. Uh, there is a need of the heart to work diligently uh, towards the uh, balancing that. Uh, but we don't work uh, uh, by excluding even the perpetrators of that. Um, so you don't make an enemy out of Roberts. You make the equation, your energy, your uh, engagement in balancing whatever you need to do in order so, so that uh, that uh, uh, equation of unbalance comes back into balance. I, whether it means writing to Pat Roberts or whether it means writing to your congressman or whether it means just doing nothing and I don't know what it means. In this case it just means you know you just you just dismiss it as just not worth paying attention to. But it doesn't mean division. It doesn't mean anger. It doesn't mean violence. It doesn't mean vengeance. It doesn't mean retaliation. It doesn't mean um, uh, uh, negating the person. Pat Roberts, George Bush. Because a person is always more than the sum of their behavior. They can never, nobody can be summed up by a single statement. So you sit and you feel the un you feel the injustice, and you do what you do. Yes.
That's good. Yes, good. That's good. The difference between discernment and judgment is really what we're speaking about. So thank you for that. Discernment is the clarity of seeing uh, uh, the injustice through clarity and and uh, and just saying no, this isn't. Uh, I'm not going this way. This is. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to get on his bandwagon. I'm not going to. You know, uh, judgment is is a reaction. Uh, to that statement and a reaction against the person and uh, anger uh, that is um, really um, un- not understood. Because, again, we coat the world with our own projections. If there is anger, it's coming from us. It's coming from some sense of self-diminishment in us. And that's the reason we get angry. Discernment is a clear statement, a clear seeing of the situation objectively and doesn't involve a neurotic reactivity within that state, within that clarity. There's a hand back here. Yes. No, you have a con- your comments fine. I appreciate that, and it is difficult to hold that vertical posture. It is it is difficult. Again, when whether we're you know it's um, we need a lot of self tolerance. A lot of, because uh, there's a lot to understand about why it is that we won't take that vertical position. Our needs, our, our sense of self-worth, it's all in there somewhere. Um, and we have to, for most of us, have to go through uh, the pain of, the, of those reasons and the exploration of why it is that we're not up to that vertical position before we can release the need to lean forward or backward. Vertical position is what you find yourself in when you have eliminated the need to lean forward or backward. It's not a new position. It's the absence of position, which is discernment. Yes.
No, you're, you're, you're feeling right. You're, um, you don't have a cause. You don't have a purpose. You don't have a function. You don't, you know, those are what, uh, those are very scary because those are images that we have that we need of ourselves, those things that we need of ourselves and we need our place in the world, right? Um, and those images don't just uh, slough off uh, easily without a lot of, of investigation. Um, and we can be so afraid of, of, having, of our life being meaningless and what that means in terms of a, of a fear projection that we just see, you know, sort of out in a nomad, a, a no person's land, no person's land. Is that politically correct? <laughs> see how ridiculous it gets? It just gets crazy. Um, and uh, you, you lose your footing. You don't, um, but but what something very deep and profound is happening there as well, and that is when we lose our footing, we find something that's there that isn't there when we have our footing. It's not just fear. Once that subsides a little bit, we find uh, qualities of ourselves that we never thought we had or we had any access to. Uh, that is. Uh, related to the loss of the image, not to firming the image up. Do you see? And uh, so, um, you know, it's always there if you want it. (coughs) It's always there if you need it. You can go back to purpose. But just feel what that feels like to be encased, you know, looking out as the poem was written looking out the airplane window, you know, scarred and small. And so many of us live our life with that, with, a, with just kind of a single focus on things. Is there another way uh, to abide in life in which we gain everything and only lose the concept uh, that has tied us into a not all long anyway? See, that's the question I would move into uh, when your fear starts countering the argument. So you just see, what is this moment? Okay, I hear you fear. I can always go back. What's this moment like right now without a cause? What if I just take it on its own for itself? What if I just take this moment for itself? You see, cause can't find, it won't, can't exist immediately. Hmm? Cause needs a future and it needs past. And what you find is that when you do uh, stand up is that everything is meaningful. You, the, the question of what is meaningful in the moment falls away because everything is meaningful. Everything is equally as meaningful. You see? But fear won't let us come to that 
it'll keep saying, it'll keep presenting um, a mental image of desolation, of self-destruction. So just be careful uh, that you begin to understand how fear pulls you out of what your heart is most intent on doing. Okay, good. Thank you all tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.